not only has the light come, but the light dwells amongst us. And as it does, it shines through us. And Father, we just thank you, God, that you have given us one more time together. That, Lord, this time of remembrance. But also, Father, I pray that our time of remembrance would be a time of motivation as well. As that, Lord, even as you had come so long ago, you're going to come again. And so, Father, I pray that your second coming and the knowledge of all that's going to transpire would be a motivation for us even today. Lord, I pray for those who have come out this morning that you would bless them. I pray that you would go before them. I pray, Father, for the opportunities that you give us this day amongst unsafe family and friends that you would enable us and give us the words to speak. But right now, just guide us in your words. Speak to us and bless us. Once more, as we come together as brothers and sisters that have made as children through your sacrificial death, we thank you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's going to be one of the last times. I feel like I'm all aglow up here. <laughs> You are. I mean, this is messing me all up. You've got to turn the pulpit this way and everything. Well, we've been a church for, was it, 17 years. And so this isn't just the 17th study that I have done on Christmas. I've done many studies during Christmas time and, you know, series and whatnot. And then even as we got to the Christmas stories, as we were studying the Gospels. And so Friday I'm sitting down and I've got this one last study to do. No, it wasn't Friday. It was actually Saturday. And I'm thinking, what in the world do I got to say now? Now, I figured I can just pull up a study that I did 18 years ago and you guys would never know. You probably can't remember what I talked about a week ago or two weeks ago. But that's just not how the Lord moves, and, and God wants something fresh, and God wants something pertinent for the day. Now, part of the problem, or part of the issue, I should say, is not really a problem, but part of the issue, there's relatively few scriptures about the Christmas story. We can look in the book of Isaiah, as we did on Thursday night. There's Luke chapters 1 and chapter 2, as we did last Sunday. There's the Magi, as we did last night in Matthew chapter 2. There's Matthew chapter 1. I think I used it for a devotion I did with the children's ministers. But then I just started searching and I started looking for other Christmas scriptures that speak of the coming of Christ and the effects that Christ has had upon our lives. Because, yes, there was a historical event, and there's no doubt about it, it altered the course of the world. But how did it alter the course of the world? And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the true gift of Christmas really is and the reality of Christ in our life. Because if Christ is who the Bible says he was, sure, there would be that change back then. But wouldn't there be that constant change, that constant effect in our lives today? Hold on, Stephanie got here late. I'm sorry, everybody looked over there, so... But there would be that constant, there would be that reality in our lives. Case in point, Friday, I'm pretty much done for the day, and I get a call from Kindred Hospital. Now, Kindred Hospital is a hospice in Ontario. It's where people go to die. It was towards the end of the day, and I was looking forward to going home a little bit early, but it just wasn't going to be so. 
I kind of answered the phone with a little bit of attitude. I mean, I didn't express that in my voice, but thinking. And she says, well, we have a person here whose husband would like for you to come. She wants a, I can't remember, a Protestant preacher to come. And I'm thinking, well, I ain't got nothing to protest against, but I'll, I'll come if you really want me to. But they want a Protestant preacher to come and to pray with his wife. If you can make it in the next couple of days, that'll be fine. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? It's best just to go right now. And I'm thinking, but I could go in the morning. And so you start thinking of these things. And God says, I want you to go right now. And so I went, and I went to visit Patricia Moore. Patricia Moore is the case in point. Patricia Moore, because she believed, and I'll tell you why I believe this, in the first coming of Christ, it has effect in her life even to that day, Friday. I don't know if she's still alive today. But it, it had an effect in her life. And I saw Christ in this woman as she was laying on that bed. She had dried blood on her mouth. She had a trichotomy where they put a hole in your throat so you can breathe. They had her kind of clamped in so that she wouldn't move. I'm sorry I'm not painting a good Merry Christmas picture, but I will in a minute. And, and, and she was there. And, and so she, she was kind of in and out of it, or at least you're not really sure. You know, because sometimes I go in and a person's in a coma and I'll read to them and I'll pray for them and you don't really know if you really made an impact. But I believe that the Word of God is able to cut through a coma. I believe that God is able to reach us wherever we are at. I believe as we preach the gospel, even to an unsaved person who is in a coma, I believe that God is able to reach that person's soul. And so we remain, I remain faithful in doing so. And so I, I went in there and... You know, they, they make me put on the gown, and I had to put rubber gloves on and, and all of that. And, and uh, you know, I, I come up to her, and she's got her eyes closed, and just kind of, again, she can't even move her head. She's just kind of looking straight. And, for, you know, I put my hand just very softly on her arm because her skin was all bruised and all. And, Patricia, I'm here to, to pray for you, and can I read you some scripture? And it's like her eyes just opened. And, and I go, well, your husband called. You know, I kind of thought I had her attention. Your husband called... And he wanted me to read you to some scripture, and he wanted me to pray for you. And I have some oil, and I'm, I'm going to anoint you. And she just had this huge smile that came upon her face. And I'm just amazed. And so I, I read her a few scriptures, and then I go, okay, well, I have this oil, and I want to dab a little bit on your head. I like to tell people what's going on here and tell them the oil doesn't heal, but we do it in obedience to what God has told us to do in, uh, in the epistle of James. And so I did, and she, she's got tears that are coming out of her eyes. And then I sit there and pray for her, and, and, and then when you're done, you just see this joy radiating from this woman and, and who's in this place, in this condition that none of us would ever want to be, but I just see how, how God just met her in, in that, that very real way. And, and when I finished praying, it was just like, I didn't really do enough. I mean, you always want to do more. What you want to do is put your hand on her and be healed, arise and walk. That's never worked for me, at least not yet. Not everybody gets healed. But I read her some more scripture, spent a little bit more time with her, and, and you could just see. I mean, that's the only way I could describe what I saw on that woman's face is the joy of the Lord, the joy of Jesus Christ. Not the joy that Christ had, but the joy that we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'm asking God, the Christmas story, I've gone through the Christmas story, we've done it a few times this year, what about the results of the Christmas story? And he gave me, he gave me that picture, he gave me that real life illustration. And I'm just saying, man, that just, for me, it just had this huge impact. 
I never, I didn't even really tell my wife about it when I got home because I just kept discerning these things in my mind and in my heart and, and, and kind of just trying to, to put them together. You know, here we are after service today, my wife and my mother-in-law, we're going to go up to my daughter Chelsea's, we're going to spend the day with friends. But what about those people who can't? Again, I don't know that Patricia is even still here with us this day. Keep her in prayer. Keep her husband up in prayer. He wasn't there when I was there. But I just saw what God is able to do. I saw the greatest gift that anybody could ever see. We can have such attitudes at times when we have to go beyond ourselves or out of our ways. But as we do, God blesses. And so this season that ends today but never really does it's it's almost over the 24 7 plane of christmas carols will stop around noon for me it used to be finding one of those stations that you would have some good christmas carols mixed with santa claus carols but at least they were playing them 24 7 from thanksgiving on and i like christmas carols i don't mind the continual playing of them And then Pandora came along, and so now I've got Pandora stations that I can filter out some of the stuff that I don't like. And then for my birthday a couple of weeks ago, my daughter brought me one of these little Google things. It looks like a donut. And you come into the room and you say, Google, play Pandora Christmas music. And it does. You tell it, hey, Google, stop, and it will. You can tell it to pause. I'm sitting there, and I need to spell something. Hey, Google, spell thoroughly. I I have this this huge mental block of the word thoroughly. I can never spell it, and it's really hard to find in the dictionary at times, at least the way I spell it. But nonetheless, the Christmas music after today, probably around noon, it's going to go away. The crowds have already dissipated. Traffic has returned to normal, probably even below normal. Did anybody of you guys hit traffic on the way here this morning? And we can start now saving for next Christmas. In the next week or so, here at the church or even at home, we'll be shoving Christmas back into the storage box. We'll be sticking it up into the garage or back into the attic. There's been times even when in the frenzy, I I can't remember what it was, but after we put all Christmas away, we were missing something. It was a part to a toy or something, and we just couldn't find it, and we gave up. I don't know if we bought a new one or just blew it off, whatever it might have been. The next Christmas, we go hauling everything out, and lo and behold, there it was. It got put away for a whole year. But my warning to you is, in all the packing and cleaning and storing and stowing, don't inadvertently lose the Lord. Because there is the day that is coming. There is the day of hardship. There's every day, and don't get me wrong, we need Jesus Christ every single day. We must cling to the cross of Christ, that place of the love of God and where grace was lavished upon mankind. We can never wander away, and we have to stay close. But so many times, so many people, even within the church, as we're packing away Christmas, Jesus kind of gets lost in the packing, and he gets stored away, maybe not until next Christmas, but at least until Easter. And far be it from us that we would be such a people. Problem out of sight, out of mind. Now, what I want to look at this morning, I want to focus on this final Christmas time message, is God's great gift exchange. A gift exchange is just a dynamic of this time of year. You want to reciprocate to the degree that somebody has blessed you. And there's biblical precedence in this. This is the giving of a gift that's an expression of your heart in appreciation of a person and who they are and all that they've done. Now part of this is a gift given in response to a gift that has been given. 
somebody beat you to the punch and you want to respond appropriately. Matter of fact, a lot of times you want to respond to a greater degree just so you can look like the better people. I know how you people are. Now, the exchange of gifts that we have with the Lord is based upon his expression of love to us at the cross. And so I'm speaking to the born-again believer here this morning. It's going to relate to the, the Christian. And what we'll look at here is three gifts that, are, that we are to give him and three gifts, three corresponding gifts that he has given to us, all based upon that what is the, the foundation of the giving of grace. Uh, I'm sorry, kind of gave that away. But the giving of gifts is grace. It's grace. I, I don't really give a gift to anybody expecting to get anything back. It's always a blessing when you do receive something back. But how much more so as God has given me grace, then how can I give anything back that corresponds or is on equal par with what he has given me? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And that you, through him, poverty in poverty may become rich. Be, <laughs> that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Do you know the grace of Christ? So many people know of the grace of Christ. But it's those who have called him Lord that have embraced him, that truly understand with the magnitude of the love, unmerited favor that we have received from the Lord. When it says to know the grace of Christ, this is to know as you can only know by experience. You can't really study it. Even in the Bible, you can kind of find out about it. But until you enter in, until you experience it, you're never really going to understand it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it tells us the magnitude of God's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is grace that God has given for our salvation that we would be born again, that our lives would be changed, never to go back. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, least anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. See, so by grace I was saved, but by grace God continues to do that work of sanctification in my life. Sanctification, again, just simply means separation, and the idea here is separation from the things of the world. And so it's by grace that God saved me. It's by grace that God continues to change me and to mold me into his image. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. By grace I was saved. By grace I'm being sanctified. And by grace I'm able to serve. And so I have to take that even a step further because where did grace come? Grace came from the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for you. Understand the price that was, that was necessary to be paid for the gift. Jesus died for you so that you would be saved, so that you would become a child of God. Jesus died so that you would be sanctified, that you would be separated from the world and well-pleasing in the sight of the Father. Jesus died so that you could serve him and that you could minister to brothers and sisters. Grace is the undeserved kindness and the love of God towards sinful men and women. And so the giving of this gift, that's not even one aspect of it that I want to talk about. That's just the motivation behind it. So first of all, I want to speak of the gifts that we give him. The gifts that we give him, well, I'll go through them fairly quickly. Remember the Magi? They were the first to understand the importance of that day, the day of the birth of Christ. They had a premonition because of past prophecies 
concerning him. You know the story. You've been singing about it for the last month. But they came to worship him, understanding that there's something very special about this king to whom a star was hung in the sky so that men would come and see. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now again, I want to consider the gifts that we give to the Lord because it's only as we present these gifts to the Lord that we're going to realize the magnitude of the gifts that God in turn gives to us. Now again, this list, as with all lists that I speak of at this pulpit, is not all-inclusive. You could come to me after service and say, what about this and what about that? But I'm just speaking about what God has laid upon my heart here this morning. And so the first gift that we give the Lord is gold. In the scripture, I think we saw this last night, that this is the gift that denotes deity. It's that which is fit for a king. To give God the gift of gold, to give the Lord Jesus Christ the gift of gold, is to proclaim him king or lord over your life. It's to give him control over life, your life. It's to surrender that to him. Lord, Lord is one whom you have given control and authority over every aspect of your being. This is to say, I give up and you take over. It's the realization that I so easily conduct this life in the flesh and according to what makes me feel good. Lord, you conduct this life according to what is right in your sight. Not just gold, but there was also frankincense. Frankincense is the main incense spice of the temple. This is to recognize him as your great high priest. It's to understand that we are rightly represented in heaven, that Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for us, not based upon the sacrifice of animals and all the other things that we see in the Old Testament, but the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ at his cross. And so there's this confidence that I have that I am rightly represented before the throne of God. And now when I say rightly represented, again, that's based upon the grace of God because, well, to truly rightly represent, I'm represented as a sinner, but represented in a spirit of grace through the love of God, God now chooses to look upon me just as if I have never sinned. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I had to make sure I said that because yesterday I mentioned it, yesterday morning service, and it was just kind of an off-the-cuff thing. And sometimes when I have a familiar scripture, I'll be thinking about what I'm going to say next. And when I came in the evening service, Christian came up to me and told me this, and I went back and looked at the video, and what I had said is, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. <laughs> That's not quite right. <laughs> Leave a few words out, it completely alters the meaning of the verse. Nobody comes to the Father but except through that mediator that we have in Jesus Christ. As the Father looks upon us, he sees the Son. We have the righteousness of Christ that is placed upon us because we have no righteousness within ourselves. And so frankincense speaks of that great high priest that represents us to the Father and the Father to us. And so as we offer the gold, as we offer the frankincense, it's in recognition of who he is and all that he does. And then thirdly is myrrh. Myrrh is the spice of death and burial. To give this gift to God is to recognize the purpose for the coming of Christ. 
I was sitting there in my living room yesterday. It was after first and before evening service, and it hit me. Easter is just around the corner. And when I say that, the people that put on the presentations that we do, the worship and the plays and all of that, they'll be starting pretty soon. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And it's coming, but when that baby was born, Easter was on the horizon. There was always that cross. There was always that cross that Christ had his face set as flint towards. Because if the baby is just born, if God is with us, but God does not die for us, nothing's really achieved for our situation. And the importance of this is, the importance of the death of Christ is truly realized at our death. As I'm looking at Patricia Moore, the lady in the hospital, 503 in the intensive care, I'm just seeing the importance of the magnitude of the faith that we have in Christ. How can a woman lie there in that state and smile? How can she lie there with tears of joy? How could she lie there and and respond to God? And, you know, so many times her response is, how can you allow this to happen to me? But she was just so joyful to hear God's word and once again have the gospel brought to her ears and that it, it just caused her to light up. And God was telling me, this is what it's all about. Because one day all humanity will be as that woman. They'll be helpless to do anything about her situ- our, our situation. And as helpless as we are at that time, it's all about either what God has done Or if you open your heart to the Lord at that moment, what he will still do even at that late point. Again, this gift is indescribable. It's just beyond us. And God just delivers so much to people who are deserving of so little. In Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they're a stain upon your life, They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The reason we can surrender our lives to him is, is because he first surrendered his life to us. Surrendered his life as he set aside godly attributes and he came as a servant to serve us. We see in in John, the illustration, John chapter 13, he washed the disciples' feet. He came as the most lowly of slaves, but he did so to do the greatest work that mankind ever could do. Jesus didn't die for a bunch of sins. It's not about that. Jesus died because of your sinful nature. Because of your nature, it set you off from a relationship with God. And that's what he wanted to change. He wanted to change that nature in the sight of of the Father, and through his death upon the cross, for all who believed on him, that's exactly what has happened. In Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, it says, And much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation or the peace with God. Have you ever had somebody that there was enmity between you and they? Maybe it was a friend and you kind of got in a fight, spat of some sort. Maybe it was a spouse or a child. And there was just that enmity and just that uncomfortableness, especially when you knew you were going to be in the same room together and you just weren't looking forward to it. 
But then things worked out, and there was a reconciliation, and there's just that joy of that reconciliation. Well, this reconciliation is bringing man back to how things were at the garden. And as we experience that reconciliation, there's certain elements that exist because of it, and that's what I want to look at in these second three gifts. Now, since the Lord is the gift that keeps on giving, how does he then reciprocate in a believer's life for those of you who offer him that gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the recognizing of him as God, the the frankincense, the recognizing that he ever lives to make intercession for you, and myrrh, recognizing the sacrificial death of the Lord? Well, Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Again, kind of one of these obscure verses, if you will, or such a thing. Well, obscure when it comes to Christmas. I've never placed, I looked at past studies, I've never placed a Christmas meaning on it before, but I'm just thinking, man, after looking at it through different eyes, this verse speaks volumes. Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm looking at these gifts that are here, and they're just amazing. The first gift The first gift that God gives us in response is joy. It's joy. And this isn't just joy in the good times and the easy times. This is joy in the difficult days. This is joy when, well, even through to the end of your life, as I saw with Patricia, even as this woman is on her deathbed, and this, again, was just the joy that she had in Jesus Christ that was being expressed through the only means that she had to express it. Joy from the Lord is five-faceted in a believer's life and is present regardless of our predicaments, our situations, or our circumstances. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the most poignant epistle on Christian joy when he was in a Roman dungeon in Philippians chapter 1, and I want to look at five aspects of joy that Paul wrote about fairly quickly. First, and these things you need to relate to. You need to, do these things, you'll need to ask yourself the question. It's not for anybody else, but for you. I had to look at these things and make a personal evaluation as well. As I go through this list of five things, five facets of joy, see if they relate to your life. Or see if maybe they are in your life, but are you really holding them dear? Are you really valuing them? So the first thing that Paul points out is in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It's the joy of remembrance. Now you have to ask, well, who is it that Paul's remembering? Is this just a blanket statement over this church in Philippi? Well, we can look at it specifically because in Acts chapter 16, we see Paul's time in the, in the city of Philippi as he was planting a church. And just a couple of people that we see is first Lydia. And I would imagine at times Paul would think back at his time and you don't just think of a church or a building or whatever. He's thinking of the people and how God had entered in. And this is what's bringing joy to Paul's heart. Lydia, this was this businesswoman who was very successful. She knew of God but did not know God. But God opened her heart to heed the words that were spoken of by Paul. So it's a good thing Paul was preaching the gospel. But this woman, not only her but her whole household got saved. And so what's bringing him joy? I remember Lydia, this woman who was doing really well for herself, but something was missing. And as all I did was I shared the gospel with her, and I just saw this transformation, and that God opened her heart, and she believed. And in her life, I saw that, 
well, life finally made sense because we have so many people that are, uh, that are striving for success and when they reach success, well, either they reach or they fail in both times, it's just so empty. But it's this relationship with God that keeps giving that not only fills the recipient with joy, but also Paul who had a part in that. Secondly, there was a girl who was demon-possessed but set free. And I can imagine if Paul was speaking with one of his traveling companions, remember that demon-possessed girl? Remember how Satan just had a toll hole in her life? And, and remember when we cast out that demon and how she was just simply the freedom that she experienced? And the person next to him, yeah, and remember how all hell literally broke loose because of it? And he's saying, yeah, I remember. I remember. We, we, we did really well that day. We, we really knocked over those gates of hell that day and set this captive free. At least God did it through us. And again, there's this remembrance of this woman who was in bondage but now found freedom in Christ. Yeah, remember after that or because of that, they had us even thrown in jail and they whipped us, him and Silas. They, they whipped us, but then remember the Philip, Filipino, the Philippian. Now there was a, this guy had traveled from uh, the Philippine. Anyway, never mind. Philippian jailer. This guy... This is a guy that we met, and because of the situations and circumstances, he was on the brink of suicide. This guy was just going to end it all. He had absolutely no hope. But we entered in again with the Word of God. And remember how he got saved? And they could say, yeah, I, I do remember that and how joyful that is. But it didn't just stop there. Not only he got saved, but his whole household got saved. We were instrumental in altering the lives of people. And what a blessing that is. And then there is the church. There's just all of those people. And not all of them have a name attached to them. How can anybody know everybody's name? I'm lucky if I can remember my name and my wife's name anymore. But he does remember the love in that church. He remembers how they planted that church and how that church is growing and thriving. The joy of remembrance. Never lose that joy of past believers. We've had, my wife was saying, I wonder if everybody that ever really attended our church came back, how many people would be here? We'd probably have multiple services in the morning. But, you know, there's, there were some people that, there's joy, but it was joy of grace because they were kind of hard. You know, when they left, it was kind of a relief. Um, but there's also the people that are just dear brothers and sisters who God called to move on, and there's just that joy of remembrance. Secondly, verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. This is the joy of intercessory prayer, rightly representing God's people before the throne, understanding the magnitude of the blessing that we have and the joy that that is, that, that I have a, a, a privilege of praying for people. Now, I get reminded of that, I mean, often, but so much more on Thursday nights. We have our email prayer request prayer chain here. On Thursday night, we gather them all together, all the prayer requests that went out during the week, and we pray for them one last time. And I'm just reminded of the privilege that we have to represent these people before the throne of God. God has opened his throne room to you and said, enter in and represent those people who are hurting represent those people who are struggling, represent those people who need a touch from me. Oh, what a privilege that is. If God places people on your heart, pray. If God places people upon your nerves, repent and then pray. Lift up our brothers and sisters. When you think about it, pray for me. Verse 5 is third point. 
for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The fellowship. This is the joy that we have in fellowship. Not just the fellowship that we have in here. It's essential, no doubt. But the fellowship that we have out there. And, and we have to be mindful of this one because this one can so easily get, get away from us. Most of us, you have people that you're very friendly. Step outside of yourself. Foster fellowship with maybe somebody. I, I can see somebody, they'll go, new couple or even a new person. And actually, I've seen this with single moms quite a few times. They'll get their kids and they'll sit and they'll usually sit, if they're here for the first time, the far table, again, close to the bookstore on the right-hand side. They'll get something for their kids to eat. They'll sit there for a while and they'll get up and they'll leave. And we need to approach that type of person. That person, well, that person needs to be reached through Christ, through Christ that is within us. That's a joy. That's a joy to be able to have, to bridge that gap between the Lord and that person in a human way. Because that's what God saw when he sent his son. But also, that's what he sees and understands in that we need to be doing as well. This is fellowship that we have in the gospel with the Holy Spirit. And even in this particular epistle, it speaks of the fellowship that we have in suffering. Because suffering is common to all of our lives. We can all relate. And with the sufferings that you have gone through, I'll go through. And the sufferings that I've gone through, you'll go through. And we're able to support one another in that as we fellowship with one another. There's the joy of assurance, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. To have that assurance that God is for you and nobody can be against you. This world can dish out some pretty hard things. There's no doubt about it. But I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's to know who you are in Christ and have a confidence because of it. I remember Bill was telling me, Bill and Robin, they do the vacation Bible school. And they were doing it with the kids a couple of years ago. And I don't know what they were talking about. I think Bill was telling me that it would be quieter to sit down or something like that. And he told them, he goes, you need to sit down. And I guess somebody said, why? He goes, because I'm the boss. Well, my grandson Noah was sitting there, and he raised his hand, and he says, you're not the boss. My papa is the boss. <laughs> See, when your papa is the boss, now, he still needed to sit down and be quiet. Don't get me wrong. But when your papa's the boss, you can have a confidence, no matter who it is that you're faced with. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> Your papa is the boss. It ain't me. The Lord is, your, the, Lord is the one who, who conducts the affairs of life. Remember, you, you've proven that when you gifted him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You're able to have that confidence. Again, verse 6, being confident of this very thing. What thing? That he who began a good work in you from that day of your salvation will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is the rapture of the church. So God is always doing a work in a believer's lives throughout the whole church age. And then fifthly, verses 7 and 8, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart as much as both and in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it just simply speaks of brotherly love. Don't get caught up in the word brother. We can look at sibling, but nonetheless, we're all brothers and sisters. Some of us are going to be going into households with family today, but the greatest family that we have is the body of Christ. And it's got to be the most intimate, and it's got to be the most personal, and it's got to be the most productive that is within our lives. As we understand these things, 
we'll see that we have joy in our lives. Secondly, but it is not just joy that God gives, it's also peace. Martin Luther said, grace releases sin and peace makes the conscience quiet. The two friends that torment us are sin and conscience. But Christ has vanquished these two monsters and trotted them underfoot both in this world and that which is to come. When you're guilty, you know they're guilty. And there's no peace. There's no peace when at any minute they could come knocking on your door. You know, just use that as an illustration. But it's when you've been declared innocent in the sight of the ultimate authority that your conscience is able to be stayed perfectly on the Lord. This is peace that we have with God, Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is also the peace that we have from God, peace during this lifetime. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing but in, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then lastly, there's joy, peace, and then hope. Hope, why is hope important? Well, you could ask Patricia more. She's trusting in God for her future. Because you could look and you can think, she ain't got much of a future, Pastor Mike. She's on that bed and they thought it important enough to cut a hole in her throat and didn't look very good. Oh no, she's got a glorious future. She's got a glorious future. She's going to close her eyes here. Whenever that will occur, she's going to open them in the presence of her Savior. And that's the great hope that we have within us. We hope in so much, but the great hope that we have within us is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 13, a well-known verse, but keep in mind the context of the verse. This verse was given while Israel was in Babylonian captivity, while they were in the very midst of it. But in the very midst of this captivity, God enters in and offers them hope. Trust, faith, trusting in God for today. Hope, trusting in God for our future. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 13. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And God is just telling him, you're in Babylonian captivity, you're going through this hardship, and you're wondering what has happened to all the promises of God, why has God forsaken me, and what he's doing in the midst of that, he's entering in and offering hope. We see the things that are going on in our world today, and we can wonder what's going on, but our hope isn't in this world. This isn't heaven. This is as close to hell as you will ever get. And our hope, our hope is in the future, in Christ. So after today, the season ends, but God's great gifts, they can continue to give. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh in exchange for joy, peace, and hope. Second Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I tried my best here this morning. We went off the word, that's the best we have, but we can only imagine. We can only imagine how vast the gift is that God truly gives us. It's perfect for every reason and every season. It's that which, well, we didn't really know we needed, but it's that which we desperately wanted if we truly search our hearts. And so 
Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. Happy New Year, we've got this great hope. And one day we're going to have the newest of years as we're in the presence of the Lord. And it's only then that we're going to understand the things that we've been talking about to its full, full magnitude, understand this, the magnitude of the great work that God has done. If you want a reminder of that, I'm going to go ahead and close. But when you get home, read Revelation chapter 5, that heavenly choir that's coming to the realization of the goodness of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and that great work that he's done. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us your word. And Father, even these scriptures that we can so easily take for granted, but Lord, your word tells us that every word is God-breathed. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. And Father, you even have explained it to us. And so, Lord, just the things we talked about here this morning, pray that you would put this season in perspective, but not just this season right now, but even the years to come that we would truly rejoice, that we would understand, Father, all that you've done and all that you continue to do, that we would realize, Father, the, just the humble gifts that we have given to you are given back to us in such a great degree. We thank you, Lord, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?